Yo, this is Pastor Tito here welcoming you to another episode of our weekly revolutionary podcast where I am here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. Now, we're going to take a pause of this mini-series inside of the series, The End, the study of the book of Revelation, and the mini-series is on the seven letters to the seven churches. But I am going to take a break because we got to talk about a couple of things first. And the things that we're going to discuss on is something that just... You see elements of it from here on out in the book of Revelation, and these are very highly debated topics. It's the, the rapture, the great, the, the, the millennial reign, and the great tribulation. And so we're going to focus on just that this week. So that way it can help us to really understand not only what could possibly happen, but the importance of us understanding what could happen in the future should dictate how we live in the present. So let's see what God has to say and what his word has to say about these three very, very controversial topics. Good morning, TGC fam. I know this is going to be a little different for everybody this morning, but hey, you know what? I haven't had a weekend off since 2019, which is crazy to say. And look, I do more than just preach on Sundays, but uh, I'm enjoying time with the family right now. But listen, I wanted and I was so excited to be able to share this message that I just didn't want to wait till next week. And so I'm sharing you with this today in this moment because, again, I just can't wait. Now, there is something, though, that I'm going to need you to wait on. Because if you've been following uh, this whole sermon series, which is called The End, as we are studying the book of Revelation... We have been looking at seven different types of churches, and I need you to know, if you've been with us for the first three, we're going to take a pause today and not get into the next four until I come back next week. The reason is is because we are going to introduce, in fact, the fourth church begins to introduce these different ideas and terminologies that it's too hard just to put a little footnote on. Like, we really need to take some time to explain, and that's what I want to do with you today. The one thing that I wanted to make sure that we talked about before we pick up where I left off is this really, this is kind of crazy. This is the heavy, probably one of the most heavily debated things in Christian history and among Christian scholars today. Are you ready? So I hope you're ready because I am. Now, before we go on the disagreements, let's talk about where most agree on. Most theologians and pastors agree on the following things. They agree that in the end of the world, at the end of time, when it comes to Jesus, that Jesus will receive all believers in Christ Jesus, all right, all those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, who have put their trust and confidence in Jesus, that he will receive us in the end, all right, those who put their faith. And Jesus also will recreate the world and everything. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And then there's the other one that Jesus will reign forever. And there will be no more crying, no more sin, no more difficulty, no more pain. None of that all gone. So most agree on those three things. Jesus will receive us, the the church, the believers. He will recreate the world and heaven and earth. And he will reign forever. Where everybody disagrees on is not on those what's. A lot of people disagree more on the how and the when all of these things are going to happen. Now, the three topics that we're going to look at today that we're going to start to see themes as we study the book of Revelation is the rapture, the millennial reign, and the great tribulation. So if you've never heard of those topics, we're going to explain those quickly. Now, we're only going to focus heavily on one. The others we'll get to. You'll see. 
But the, the one here, the, the one I'm going to start with is the millennial reign. A lot of believers and a lot of scholars believe that Jesus will reign for a thousand years on earth after the battle of Armageddon, after the second coming. Jesus will reign on earth with believers, with the saints for a thousand years and, and give the earth rest during that time. And those who survive the end will come into the kingdom and it'll be again for a thousand years and then the, de- then the devil will be ultimately defeated and then Jesus will recreate the whole world at the end of the millennial reign. The Great Tribulation is probably one of those that just kind of really bothers a lot of people when they think about it. It is considered, and when we look at the Great Tribulation, it is considered the final seven years of technically human history before this millennial reign or before Jesus comes to earth, okay? That's what the Great Tribulation is. It is the final seven years before Jesus comes to earth. And it is obviously a Great Tribulation because it's a, it's a big deal. This is considered to be the worst seven-year period in human history. More death and disease and destruction that the world has ever seen. It's the worst of the worst happening during that time. Again, the Great Tribulation, with most of, it, most of it happening at the second half, the final three and a half years of those seven years. That's what the Great Tribulation is. Now, with, when it comes to those two things, the big one that everybody tends to really wrestle over the most is that third one that I mentioned, the rapture. If you've never, most of you know what that rapture is. If you've been around church long enough, if you grew up in the 90s like me and you heard of the Left Behind series, the books, and you saw the movies, and if you're in the 70s, you might remember this classic, you know, old school, corny Christian movie called The Thief in the Night, right? And it's all about the rapture and people being sucked up and their clothes and underwear and shoes and jewelry all left behind. That's kind of, that's what the rapture is. Well, a lot of people are, have a struggle and debate heavily on what this is. And this is important for us to truly understand and comprehend. So before we do anything else, let me show you where the word comes from. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18, where it says, Paul is tech- talking to the Thessalonian church. And now these, church, th- these people are, are nervous. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. And he's trying to calm their fears. But look what he says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the angel, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left up, will be caught up. I want you to catch up on that word. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right, that word caught up is the Greek word that Paul uses was later translated into Latin, which we have a Latin translation of the Bible. And that Latin translation of the Bible, or that word caught up, is the word rapturo, which is where we get the English word rapture. So technically, the, the word is in there. Some say it's a stretch, but that's where we get it. And notice the theme of it is being caught up in the air, and that speaks of a, of a move, of a, this violent, not a violent, but a forceful taking away. That's what the rapture, that's what people say is going to happen. That's the where we get it, but let me tell you when people believe the rapture is going to happen, because this is where a huge debate also happens. There's really three places, all right? People say that there will be a pre-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation rapture, I'm sorry, a mid-tribulation rapture, and a post. So you got a pre, a mid, a post. 
That's what most believe, that the rapture will happen at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, and the Christians will not be here during that time. At least the church that will remain will not be here during that time. We'll all be taken up, the salt and the light will be removed, and then the, the Antichrist will have free reign and the ability to take advantage of the chaos, take advantage of what's happening to bring order to a very chaotic world where literally a third of everybody or however many are just gone out of nowhere. That's the pre. The mid believe, they say, no, see, there's going to be, there's evidence and there's biblical verses that say that the, the Christians will experience, will not experience the great, great tribulation at the very end. Instead, we cannot be raptured up until the Antichrist is revealed. Now, you can have a guess who the Antichrist is, but according to scriptures, the Antichrist will be revealed when he breaks the treaty in the middle of the seven years. Some believe that's when we're going to get raptured up, right in the middle. Then you have the post-tribulation guys. These are people who believe that there is no rapture, that we will be here throughout the whole great tribulation because there is evidence that Christians will be on earth during this time and that there's verses that say that we will have to endure hardships. And so they believe that there's a post-rapture where we are caught up in the clouds with Christ, we meet up with the Lord, and then we come right back down and, uh, you know, enter and, and reign with our God forever. And those people that are post-tribulation uh, people, they tend to believe that a lot of prophecy that is, has, you know, we're discussing and a lot of what happened in Revelation and a lot of the prophetic things that Jesus talked about already happened. And they believe in something different. While the pre-people, they believe that a lot of these things might have partially happened but still need to happen in the future. Can you see why this is a big debate and why it's kind of confusing? Well, get ready, because uh, you're going to get a fire hose of information really quick, hitting you really quick right now. All right, here we go. So check this out. So what do we know, though? All right, can we look at the Bible? Can we look at the scriptures and see, okay, is there evidence to know when this is going to happen? Because I would like to know when Jesus is going to show up. I want to make sure I'm not left behind. I want to make sure I'm ready, right? No one wants to miss that train. So what do we know? Well, let me tell you a few things on what we know. We can look at the scriptures, and here's what we know about the Bible, where, what God communicates on this. God does say that everyone will know when Jesus comes once and for all, okay? We do know that when Jesus comes into the world, that everybody will know. The post-tribulation people believe that this action of being caught up and then coming back down is a one-time event. They, they don't believe that you can separate that. While there's others, the pre, really, a lot of the pre-millennial or pre-tribulation people believe that those are two separate events. As God will take us up and then we'll get to experience a kind of wedding supper of the Lamb before we come down to earth to reign with Christ forever in a newly created heaven and earth. But we do know that no matter when that happens, everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know when a ton of people disappear, and everyone's going to know when Jesus shows up. Let's look look at Revelation 1-7. John is saying, look, he, being Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye, every eye will see him, and those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. These are the unbelievers who are going to realize, oh, we were wrong. Okay, we were wrong. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the keyword last trumpet, when we get into this at the end of Revelation, you're going to see the last trumpet is at the end of the tribulation period. At the sound of the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised 
incorruptible, and we will be changed. This is a verse that some post-millennialists believe in. They're saying, see, at the very end is when we experience the transformation of our bodies. But no matter what, we know that things, everybody will know when this goes down. Here's something else we know. Jesus says that we will know of a sequence of signs. There's a lot of things that we can check off and say, okay, when that's happening, that's happening, that's happening, that's happening, then. Let me show you a few of them. Matthew 24, 8 through 14. Jesus says, all of these events are the beginning of the labor pains, meaning the, you know, the wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and pandemics. And, and in essence, you know, the, the world is going to get a little worse more and more. Jesus says, that's just the beginning. Check it out. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted. They will kill you and you will be hated by all of the nations because of my name. Then many will fall away. That's going to be a key word that we're going to break down on church number seven. Many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. This is a false revival. A revival will sweep the world and take people away from knowing the truth of Christ into believing in the Antichrist and in his system and worship him. Because lawlessness will multiply. By the way, the man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. Lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The end of what? The end of this age before we get, tri- before we get raptured, before the tribulation? Or the end of the tribulation? If those who endure to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all of the world as a testimony to the nations. Then the end will come. That verse is not speaking of a worldwide Jesus revival at all. When the gospel hits every nation... And even though the nations are not listening, then the end will come. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, talking about that great falling away, where in the end, less and less people are going be, to be believing in Jesus. And Paul says in Second Thessalonians, the reason why they do that is because they failed to love the truth. Jesus said their heart grew cold. And they, again, they didn't love the truth. And later, in fact, in Second Timothy, Paul says they actually became lovers of themselves. They did not love the truth. They became lovers of themselves, and their love towards God grew cold. Check out what 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18 says. Remember, I said this a minute ago. Paul is talking to the, to the Thessalonian church, and in 1 Thessalonians, he wanted to calm their fears because the, that church believed that, hey, we have brothers and sisters in the faith, and they died, and we're here waiting for Jesus to come back. So if they died... Our, are they going to miss out on the second coming of Jesus? And so they were concerned about their dead relatives and their dead brothers and sisters in the faith. So Paul says, no, 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 it's okay. That's why he goes, look, the dead in Christ are actually going to rise first. They're going to beat you to it. Even though they're six feet under, they're going to beat you to the clouds before you are. So don't worry about the dead in Christ. Now, Paul has to write a second letter to the church in Thessalonica. Do you know why? Because now those who are alive are scared again. They're like, wait a minute. We heard a rumor that Jesus came back and we're still here and he left us. So where before they were afraid, yo, the dead are going to miss out. They are alive and they're afraid saying, I think we're missing out. So Paul, are you still there? Can you help us? What's going on? Because if Paul's still here, at least we know things are okay. And so Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 8. Check it out what he says. He says, look, concerning the coming of the Lord Christ and our being, again, gathered up, 
gathered together with Christ. We ask you, brothers and sisters, do not be easily upset or troubled either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord had come. Hey, it hasn't happened yet. Because remember, we know when the day of the Lord comes, we will know. And so here he's saying it hasn't happened. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless, remember, these are sequences. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes. Apostasy means the great falling away where people are, this is what Jesus talked about. People are not going to believe. And the man of lawlessness, the antichrist is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits on God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about these things. And you know what currently restrains the Antichrist. What's holding him back so that he will be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed and the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The breath of his mouth, that is Jesus' second coming where he's going to speak and destroy and demolish all of the armies of this world that are opposing Christ, all of the unbelievers, demons, sin and death, all of it is gonna be handled by the breath of his mouth at the very end. But the whole gathering up, and notice he says the restraining. He is talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the church that is present here, that many scholars believe, that is what is holding the Antichrist back. But, but do you notice all of the sequences, right? We know that there's certain things that have to happen, and then we will know the end will come. Well, let me tell you something else that we do know. Ready? Christians will suffer the wrath of the devil. I want you to know that's true. Christians will suffer the wrath of the devil. Jesus talks about this in John 15, 20. We see this in, uh, when he says, listen, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. That's what the wrath of the devil is, persecution of the faith, trying to stomp out and intimidate the light that we have in Christ. Now, we also know that the wrath of the devil is going to be poured out on those who during the tribulation will be around. And we do know, we look at Revelation chapter 6, Revelation 13, which we're going to look at later. There we know that the, the Antichrist has been empowered to war against the saints. Now, the saints during the Great Tribulation are either going to be whatever, you know, the Christians that remain that never were raptured up, or it's going to be the Christians who came to life and came to faith in Jesus Christ, which many of the premillennials believe that there will be people who will come to faith in Jesus during the Great Tribulation time that will refuse the mark of the beast, that will not worship. There will be a lot of Jews who will do the same thing, and the Jews will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we do know that's going to happen, and they will experience the true wrath of the devil as they will be persecuted and martyred for their faith. So we do know this. This is why the post-millennialists and post-tribulation people say, see, listen, are we any better than our brothers and sisters who had to suffer so much? Is really God going to select an end times generation that will be taken up and will not have to experience this kind of persecution? That's a good question. Now, you got to ask yourself this, though, because in the West, in America, and in many places in Europe, the persecution we are not experiencing is not that bad when you look at China, Indonesia, everywhere in the 1040 window, where they are experiencing horrific persecution right now. So just because we're not experiencing it doesn't mean that others aren't. 
And then also some will say this. They point to uh, the story, Matthew 20, where Jesus gives a parable about a master hiring servants. And he goes to the first one and says, hey, I'm going to pay you a certain amount of money to do a job. And then he goes three hours later, find somebody else. Hey, I'm going to pay you the same I paid him. You want to come work for me? And every three hours throughout the day, he keeps on hiring people to come work for him. Where at the very end, he paid one guy literally for working three hours or so or the last hour. He paid one guy the same that he paid the other one that's been working there all day. And the one who was working all day thought, man, hold on. If he's paying him that money and I've been here all day, I'm going to get something for myself. And the master says, no, that I'm paying everybody. This is, it's my money. I get to do what I want to. So, right, this is mine. I get to choose what that is. So what if the Lord says, yes, there's previous, persecu- there's previous generations that had to endure so much more. And what if the Lord wants to select a generation that maybe doesn't have to as bad, if that's what God wants to do, and they get to be raptured up before the great tribulation? That's on God to do that. But we do know, though, that no matter what, we will have to experience the, the wrath of Satan. But let me tell you with all certainty this other one right here, which this one's awesome. We know this to be true. Christians will not suffer the wrath of God. The wrath of God is his ultimate judgment on the world that we know if we're believers in Christ Jesus, we don't have to experience the judgment of God being condemned to hell because we put our, our sins were forgiven and we put our trust and confidence in Christ. And so we know that we won't have to touch and come near the wrath of God because Jesus took the wrath of God already for us on the cross. And that is accounted to all who believe and put their trust in Jesus. Yet we do know that in the book of Revelation, the wrath of God is poured out on the world. And because we know, I mean, we look at here, check it out. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9, Romans 5.9, Revelation 3.10, Ephesians 5.6, Colossians 3.6. Those are all verses that prove, that say we will not experience the wrath of God. So that's where the premillennialist people say, see, that's why we're going to get raptured before the tribulation. Because we cannot experience the wrath of God. He said we wouldn't. And if the wrath of God is a great tribulation, then we're not going to be here. But then you'll have the post and some of the mid will saying, well, there are Christians, though, that will be here. And they believe that those Christians and even those Jews are sealed. And though the plagues and the judgment of God will come upon the world, there's going to be believers that will not be touched by it. Just like in Exodus, just like in Egypt, where the people of Israel, God brings judgment on the nation of Egypt. Yet no matter everything that was happening all over Egypt, guess where it wasn't happening? In the area where the Jews lived. God supernaturally protected them from the wrath of God and delivered them. Do you know what else we know about the Bible and about this? That we know that God is coming both for us and we are coming with him. The one I told you about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, and even in uh, Luke 21, uh, where Jesus is saying, pray that you may escape these things. Now, Jesus was literally in Luke 21, he was talking a lot about the the judgment that was going to come upon Jerusalem, which happened in well, A.D. 70, when the Jews were persecuted, slaughtered, and the temple was destroyed. So Jesus was being literal about that, saying, when this is happening, pray that you can escape. By the way, why were so many Christians in the early church selling their properties? It's because they wanted out of there. They knew, hold on, something's going to happen, and we need to be ready 
to leave, to escape, to avoid these things. So some believe, see, that's a rapture uh, reference that not only did that happen one time partially, but hey, we need to be prepared to be able to escape the wrath of God in one way or another. But we know that God does come for us, that he will call us and we will be gathered up to him and that will be caught up into the clouds. So God does come for us. But then we also look at Zechariah 14, 4, Jude 14 and others where we know that when Jesus comes at the end of the world, when he comes in his second coming, we are coming with him. We are riding along with him right behind this God as he enters triumphantly into the world to set all things right. So we know we will be caught up, you know, God will come for us and we also know we will go with him. And we do know this and Jesus repeated himself a lot. When he said the following, Jesus used this phrase to describe himself. And he says, my second coming will be like a thief in the night. Jesus uses this own by himself to describe himself. Revelation 3, 3. Uh, we see this in the sixth bowl in Revelation 16, 15. We see Peter use the same phrase, 2 Peter 3, 10. Jesus uses it again while alive, Luke 12, 40. Multiple times we see the phrase, it will be like a thief in the night, like a thief in the night. What does that mean? Every time Jesus uses the phrase, like a thief in the night, it actually talks about the second coming, the end at the end of the tribulation. He, this is the same phrase when J Jesus uses that the end of time will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot, where judgment came upon the earth and a group, a remnant was saved, a remnant was redeemed, and they did not experience the true wrath of God. Now, I want to ask you, when, when it comes to the days of Lot and the days of Noah, you know, Jesus even used the phrase, one, there will be people working outside and one will be taken, the other left. And there will be people sleeping in their beds, one will be taken and the other left. Is that speaking of a rapture of the church or is that just speaking of the end of time? Well, here's the thing about the, every time Jesus uses thief in the night and Noah, I'm sorry, yeah, Noah and Lot, that all speaks of final judgment. Because when Jesus comes like a thief in the night, he actually says there is no more opportunities to be saved. So even if there is, and we, if, if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, the thief in the night is not that. The thief in the night is over here. Because we do know that if the church is raptured at the beginning, we do know that people will come to believe in Jesus in the middle of the tribulation. So that can't be that event. The thief in the night is at the end. What does that mean? Where one is taken, one is left. The one who are swept away are the unbelievers. Look at Noah, look at Lot. Those who were judged, the only ones who were left behind, I'm sorry, those who were left behind were the righteous, were the believers, was Lot and his family, was Noah and his family. Those who were left behind, everyone else was swept away by the judgment of God. And so that moment, Jesus says, it's gonna come like a thief to a lot of people, that they're not gonna see it coming. They're gonna be surprised. Again, look at Revelation 1-7 when he says, they're gonna see him coming with every eye will see him and they will mourn. They will mourn because they'll know we were wrong this whole time or we were, and it's too late. That's what that means. So the thing about being surprised, that's really the unbelievers who are gonna be caught by surprise. Just like Noah all of the people in that time, they didn't believe that. You know, Noah for over, you know, a long time was saying, the rain's going to come. God's going to judge the world. And they're like, this crazy guy over here building a boat. Uh, who, who uses a boat? Never. Have you ever heard of a boat? You know, and this, it was an exaggerated thing. They were the ones surprised. Noah wasn't surprised because he knew it was going to happen. Lot wasn't surprised when destruction happened because he knew it was going to happen. The people that were destroyed were the ones who were surprised. 
And so I want you to know that Christians, we're not going to be surprised. Here, actually, in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 4 through 10, Paul is saying to the believers, guys, you know we live in the light, not in the dark. We're not going to be surprised when the end comes because we're going to see it coming. We know all of these things that I've been telling you about. We have this confidence. We don't have to worry for anything. And 1 Peter 4, 2, look at this one, though. 1 Peter 4, 12, he does say, uh, brothers and sisters, let's not be surprised when we experience persecution. Whether that's taken up, taken out, persecution during, in the middle, after. See, us as believers, we should not be surprised that the Lord will come in one of these instances or if we have to experience persecution because Jesus told us that we would. Those who will be surprised are going to be those, really, who are not going to be left behind. So these are all the things that we know. You know something that we don't know? One thing. Mark 12 Mark 13, 32 to 33, Jesus says, Concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So watch, be alert, for you do not know when the time is coming. That's interesting, because even in Matthew chapter 24, he literally starts saying, When this, 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 this happens, you'll know. And then later in that same chapter, he goes, But technically, no one knows exactly when. You know, you get a ballpark, but no one knows exactly when. Does it mean prior to, in the middle, at the end? You can see why everyone is so confused and why this is so debatable because there's people point to biblical evidence for all three. And Jesus says, look, in the end, you really aren't going to know when, but just you do know that it is going to happen. Now, why would God leave us in the dark like that? Why would Jesus tell us all of these things, but that leave that important detail out? Well, here's why I believe. Because if he, if we knew, I'm sorry, when the end would come, then you know what? I think a lot of us would live a little differently, right? You know, it's like, man, you know what? If I know that the, if, if I know that the great tribulation is going to happen in the next 10 years, I'm not going to have any kids. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to do it. And we'll live a different way. Or if we knew, whew, Jesus isn't coming back for another 1,000 years. Oh, my gosh. All right. I can kind of do what I want. I kind of do, do that. And so the thing is that we ought to live our lives. The reason why we don't know when, which means it could happen now. And yeah, you may, well, pastor, there's still things that need to happen. But at the same time, do you know everything that's happening around the world right now? No. And so Jesus says, this is going to catch people by surprise. And so, listen, the reason why I believe the positive of not knowing is that it causes and pushes us to live every day as if today is the day. And we should live like today is the day so that we can maximize every single moment so that those who don't know Christ may know him. That is the mentality that we should have. Okay, so at the end of all of this, right, at the end of all of this, some of you are probably more convinced than ever about when Jesus is going to come back. But I guarantee you, there's some of you who are probably more confused than ever. You're, this is maybe the first time you're hearing this, or maybe you were pretty solid about one, being like, hold on, but what if? Oh, no. Some of you are probably more confused. Now, listen, if you're confused, let me tell you a little secret. Ready? I need you to lean in on this. Oh, come on, close. closer. 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 I'm not sure either, okay? I'm gonna be honest. I've, I've looked at this, and, and I have one. Let me just tell you. I do have one that if I was gonna pick, I'm, I'm assuming it's this, but I can't say with all certainty either. And, and, and I just wanna be cautious with that. There's pros and cons to all of it. 
There's pros and cons to being a pre-tribulation mentality. There's pros and cons to being a post. And so we need to make sure we should take the pros of all of it, avoid the cons, because there's just things that we just don't know. So what do we do with what we know, right? We don't know when, we don't know exactly, but we do know all of this, so what do we do? Well, here's the bottom line, ready? Here's the bottom line. We need to be prepared, not scared. When it comes to the end, when it comes to whether it's the great tribulation, the millennial reign, the, the, the rapture itself, listen, we have enough of the word of God and the promises of God to be prepared and not scared. And the reason why we can hold on to the promises of God is because of this right here. Because Jesus promised to die on the cross, three days later rise from the dead, and my guy pulled it off. He pulled that promise off dead. And listen, Jesus is alive today. And the reason why we can trust in God's words is because Jesus rose from the dead. And because he is alive today and he pulled that off, we know that God's words are trustworthy and true. That no matter what's going to happen, we know that we will not experience the wrath of God because he promised. We know that he will give us the patience and the courage and the boldness to face whatever form of persecution. And we will endure until the end and that he, we can overcome through Christ Jesus. Why? Because he he promised. He promised. And so we need to be prepared, not scared. Now, prepared for what? Prepared to meet Jesus. What if the rapture happened at any moment and you were caught up and you, if you are not prepared, you will not meet the Lord in that way. You might have to go through the great tribulation if that's what happens. You got to be prepared to meet Christ right now in this moment. And the way you do that is to put your trust and confidence in Jesus, believing in him, saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can follow you with whatever time I have left. That's how we prepare ourselves. But we also need to be prepared, prepared to be busy, to work, to spread the gospel, to, to correct any injustice, to stand up against corrupt individuals, to stand up against the spirit of the Antichrist, even the Antichrist himself, and to give a testimony of our faith. Here's why it matters. Like, well, wouldn't Jesus, wouldn't Jesus understand if I chose to deny Christ? And, you know, because what if they were going to hurt me and my family? Wouldn't he understand? Jesus, first off, he, under, he knows your heart. And those who deny Christ are either those who, they're, they're more afraid of man than of God. But here's why it's so important not even to deny Christ, even in the face of horrific death or persecution. Because when you deny Christ, you deny the opportunity for that individual to find and discover salvation for their soul. So not only do you kind of expose yourself and maybe your lack of faith in that moment, but you deny, when you deny Christ, you deny that person the opportunity to hear the gospel. And there's countless stories after stories after stories of persecutors believing in Christ Jesus because they would see those who were being murdered and martyred and mauled singing and praising God with, and saying forgive, you know, loving their enemies in such amazing ways. Persecutors became fellow believers in Christ because they did not fail. They were prepared to give a testimony of their faith, even in the face of death. Well, I want to tell you right now, don't wait for that opportunity to happen. You need to be prepared today to meet Jesus, but you need to be prepared to even face death for your faith. You need to make that decision today. And again, we don't have to do it scared. 
We don't have to be scared because the promises of God give us all of the confidence. This is why we have a blessed hope that it doesn't matter what we face or what comes our way. We have a blessed hope in Christ Jesus that nothing will overcome us because Jesus has already conquered sin and death. That we are now labeled overcomers, conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's the blessed hope that we have. That's regardless of all the things that we don't know and we're not sure of, we are sure of this that we can be prepared and not scared. We need to model the apostles. I mean, there's so many people in the faith that, many heroes of the faith that we need to model in the way that they faced persecution and actually were active, serving and doing things. Listen, this is not just waiting for somebody to pick a fight with you. Be active. This is, we need to be prepared to give a good testimony, prepared to do what God calls us to do now. Do you know why? Jesus said so. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 46. Blessed is the servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Blessed is the person, the servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. We need to be prepared to do our job, to fulfill whatever God has put in our path in this moment, to leave the next generation a better testimony so that they may come to know Christ. Whenever the end comes, that's what we need to be prepared to do. And we do it with eagerness. We do this with joy, not scared, not in fear. We do this in faith, in hope-filled faith because of what we have in Christ. So we, we need to model the heroes that have been martyred over the last 2,000 years. We need to model the heroes of the apostles, everyone in the New Testament. And we need to model those in the Old Testament as well who faced death and faced everything and did not bow down. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who the king Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down to this idol of me or else you will die. And one of them stands forward and says, O king, O king, I love this phrase, man. He, he stands up to one of the most powerful people in the world, a, a Jew, a son, a son of God, a believer in, in the Lord, and says this. He says, we believe that the Lord can deliver us from the fire. We believe that the Lord can deliver us from you, O king. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship you, for we will not deny the one true God. Well, they were sent into the fire and persevered. They were not burned and they escaped the fire. That is the hope, the blessed hope that we have. That is the hope that we have. That you know what? We believe that God can deliver us from the great tribulation, whether pre, mid, or post. We believe that he can snatch us up at any moment. But even if he doesn't, we will not deny the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ for all that he has and all that he has given up. How can we turn our backs on the one who carried the cross of our sins, our cross on his back and bore our shame for our benefit? That is a kind of even if faith. Because let's be honest, no one, eh, we can know, but no one will really know the details. So even if it doesn't turn out the way you thought or you hoped it would be, we will not deny our faith. That is what we need to be prepared for so we can enjoy in the spoils of what everything that Christ has won for us. I'm gonna end with this image. Have you ever seen this image really quick? This is called the Arc de Triomphe, okay? I don't know if I pronounced that right, but this is popular. It was found in many different places. This is a Roman thing. We have some here in the United States, right? And we have obviously in Europe. And Rome would set up this Arc de Triomphe which was this triumphal arc, and they would establish it and set it up right at the end of a, you know, this campaign, a military campaign. 
the army, as the armies were returning home, returning back to Rome with the spoils of war, they would uh, meet at this place at the Ark of Triumph. And what they would do is before they would enter the city to celebrate the victory that Rome had, you know what they would do? Paul and Jesus kind of pulled from this language that was cultural back then. And check this out. The Roman army would sound a trumpet, a sound, and it would call the people from the city to come out of the city, abandon the city, to join the army. And then the army would march triumphantly into the city with the citizens literally participating in a victory that they themselves did not gain or participate in. Well, guys, that's what's going to happen in the end. Jesus Jesus has already won and Jesus is coming back. And at the right moment, the sound will blast and the trumpet will sound and the Lord will call us up, whether at the middle, at the beginning or at the end. We know that he will call us up and he will gather us together and we will enter and, and follow him triumphantly into this world. And we will get to participate in a victory that we did not win. Jesus won it for us. That is going to happen. That is the blessed hope that we have that allows us to be prepared for anything and not scared. Listen, we don't know when that's going to happen. I told you this. We don't know when exactly Jesus will return, but we do know that we can trust in our God. Look, our Lord is coming and he wants to find us. Remember, he wants to find us faithful doing our job. So may we continually be rooted in the love of God for us. May we grow continually in holiness and in Christian unity inside of the church. And may we continue to love the lost and spread the gospels so that more souls can celebrate and participate with us in the victory that Christ Jesus has for us. And we can celebrate both now and forever. Now, I want to end with a prayer this morning. I want you to join me and bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this blessed hope that we have in you. Because, Lord, if it was up to us, God, we would have no way to be able to escape or avoid anything that is about to come upon this earth. And we do know, Lord, it needs to happen because you're a just and righteous God. And though sin was judged on the cross for all of those who believe in you, we do know that this world will be made new again and you will do it. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for that you may get us right now to focus and to be prepared and not scared for these moments to know that we can trust you. Lord, in the same way that we have a God who can deliver us from great tribulation, we know, Lord, from the great tribulation, we believe, Lord, that you are a great God who can deliver us from any kind of tribulation right now. So, Lord, I pray for everybody who's watching me right now and everybody who's here, Lord, that you may bless them right now to help them see that whatever fire that they are in, to know, God, that if they put their trust in you, that there is another in the fire, that there is another in the fire, that you are there, and that, Lord, you can sustain them, that you can deliver them from whatever form of oppression, from whatever form of tribulation that they're experiencing, whether if it's a physical issues, health issues, mental health issues, spiritual, whatever it is, depression, anxiety, fear. We know, Lord, that you can deliver us from all of these things and that you can set us free from the works of the enemy. 
that you can bind our broken hearts and bring healing. Lord, you are a great God that can deliver us from all of these forms of tribulations. And I pray right now, God, that anyone who is hearing me, that is, Lord, they may call on your name right now and that they may lift and that you may lift them up in this moment as they place their trust in you. Because you are not only mighty enough, Lord, to deliver them from this tribulation, but you, Lord, are gracious enough to give them the strength to even endure, to come out stronger in the end, that you may shape their character to be more like Christ. May they not look at these moments, Lord, with disdain, but may they look, Lord, as an opportunity to grow closer to you. We surrender these things to you right now. Lord, for the rest of us here, that are believers in Christ Jesus, Lord, I pray that we all, and those who are not, may we all be prepared to meet you right now. Whether if it's you coming to us or whether we die and we go to meet with you, may we be prepared in this moment and not scared to know what's gonna happen. And we know we have that confidence when we put our trust and confidence in you. And may we, Lord, also be prepared, even if it means to face death for our faith, that we, Lord, may conquer And overwhelm, Lord, and overwhelm these anxieties and overwhelm all those feelings that we may not deny you, Lord, so that so many may come to faith in you. If that's you, if you want to avoid and you want to be sure, not scared of what you're going to face in the future, no matter what it may be, all you have to do is put your trust and confidence in Christ. And if you haven't done it yet, do it now and say, Jesus, God, I believe you're calling me. I sense you or I sense you're here and I believe that you're real. So I ask you, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray all of those who are praying that prayer right now, God, that you may begin to shape and mold and to breathe the life, breathe new life into them right now, Jesus, in your mighty, mighty name. And every one of us who have prayed that prayer, now those new and old who have believed in you, who have called on the name of Jesus, Lord, may we praise you for the blessed hope that we have. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for the grace that you have given us, Holy Spirit, because without you, where would we be? In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen, guys. I want you really quick, let's celebrate for all of those who have made a decision in Jesus Christ, and let's celebrate the fact that we have this blessed hope in Christ that allows us to be prepared for anything and not scared. Let's just bless God really quick this morning before we leave. Well, by the end of this message, um, I hope you are at least... Uh, a little considerate of many different options that you did not uh, comprehend or think of before. You know, whether whether you are certain, you know, maybe some of you guys are, like I said earlier, maybe you are more certain than ever, maybe you're more confused than ever. But in the end, you and I, no one truly, I, I think, you know, the more I hear very, very smart people um, that know the word of God, that execute the word of God, I see a lot of great cases for many different interpretations for all of these. And, you know, 
I get it. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm still pursuing that. I'm trying to figure out what matters. But what I do know is that we know that our king is going to reign forever. Right. We do know that, that Jesus will return and reign forever. We do know that Jesus is coming back for us. And we do know that we are not appointed to wrath. So however, all that those three things play out, it really doesn't matter because in the end, we know everything is going to be OK for those who call on the name of Christ. And guys, if you haven't done it yet, OK, don't wait. Don't wait another second. Put your trust and confidence in Christ. Believe in him and follow him. And he will show you and he will fill in all the gaps and fill in all the differences. OK, because, again, that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be the revolutionary that we're talking about is someone who believes but also that belief leads to life and you are following Christ and following Christ is not perfection. It is growing. It is improving. It is, you know, getting to know him more and more and more. And that kind of revolutionary knows that in the end, our King wins and we do not live passively, but because of that, we live actively in order to save and lead as many, many more souls as possible. So that one, even if it was one less soul, will not experience the wrath of God, but instead the good and the grace of God. So with that, guys, focus on that this week. Keep pursuing Christ. And I will see you next time as we pick up our mini series on the seven letters of the seven churches with church number four.